Last Lord's Day, I told you that the overall theme of the book of Romans was the gospel of the sovereign grace of God's glory in Christ. You can begin to see that truth emerge in Paul's introduction here in Romans 1, 1 to 7, as well as throughout the book of Romans, which is what I want to show you today. I also told you that Romans 1, 1 to 7, was the book of Romans reduced to its miniature size. If the book of Romans was originally a gospel tract, then Romans 1, 1 to 7 was a capsule of that tract. It forms the title, really, of the entire book of Romans. It announces all that will follow. It's the bugle horn for the gospel. And the more I thought about it, the more compelled I was to step back in this very first message of exposition of the book of Romans to do what the Apostle Paul himself is doing, and that is what he is announcing in this first seven verses, and that is the gospel. It just stands to reason, at least to me, that if this is the theme, the gospel, of the entire letter, the gospel of God's free grace, that that message should be what I first proclaim to you today as we begin our journey. I mean, if Paul says here in verse 1 that he is set apart for the gospel of God. Do you see it there in verse 1? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. If that's what he says, he is set apart for the gospel of God, and if he later says in verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, then he is doing nothing other than declaring what I must also declare to you today, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. I told you last week, that it is my prayer that these series of messages from the book of Romans would be none other than the edification of you, His saints, and the evangelization of the lost. And the very first declaration, opportunity that I have of the saving gospel of Christ should come in the very first message. And I don't apologize for that at all. 
Now there are some of you here today who do not know Jesus Christ in a saving, intimate way. Indeed, I was talking to someone on Friday night who has been praying for a friend who has attended our church for some time now who does not know the Lord. I've been meeting myself with someone who has been attending our church for some time who does not know the Lord and is contemplating their commitment to Christ. You may be new to us today and you also may have some acquaintance with Christ's message, but you have never bowed yourself to His Lordship. And I am declaring to you today that He stands here, that is, Jesus Christ, at the threshold of the book of Romans, ready to be revealed to us as descended from King David of old, who was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Paul said. Do you see it there in verse 2? Paul says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is declared to be God's Son by the Apostle Paul because in power according to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity... He raised Jesus from the dead, which confirmed for the world to see that indeed He was co-equal with God as His Son. He died, He was buried, and was raised by the Holy Spirit. And Paul now declares Him to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the theme of the book of Romans. And I told you last time, this this is the thematic explanation of this book. And I love it. And if you're a believer, you love it too. And so this week, I couldn't get through that first verse. Because that theme kept running through my mind, and when I thought about the theme of the gospel. And as I tried to place myself into the very sandals, we say sandals instead of shoes, because if you're thinking like Paul, you're in sandals. If I place myself in the very sandals of the Apostle Paul, how do I approach the teaching of this book? And if you're in his sandals, you're saying to yourself, preach the gospel. If you're opening up this book, That's what he's doing. 
He says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, one who is sent with a message, set apart, holy unto God, God's possessive agent, for the good news of God. And then he launches into that good news. And so I too launch into the good news and we're going to explicate it in detail as the title of this epistle unfolds in these seven verses. But I assume that Paul, if you if you were standing here, would in fact preach the gospel. And the thematic unfolding of that is so rich. Even that very word, euangelion, gospel, good news, is mentioned a number of times in this book. And so I traced it out in this book. This euangelizo, this euangelion, this is the tracing out thematically of, of the gospel in this book. And so that's what I did. And so even before the exposition of Romans 1, 1 to 7, I I just traced it out thematically in this book. And so I want you to look at that with me this morning. Look at Romans 1.9 for another use of this theme of the gospel of the sovereign grace of God's glory in Christ. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve with or in my spirit in the gospel of His Son. God is is my witness. God is my testimony bearer. God is the one who knows that He's called me into the ministry, that He's set me apart. He's the one who... Saved me on that Damascus road. He set me apart. He told me what I was to preach. He told me what I was to teach. And now I'm serving Him in or with my spirit. And He's even told me what to preach. And He says, it is the euangelizo. It is the gospel, the good news. The Greek word which Paul uses here for gospel is euangelizo. And of course it means good news. But it's not confined to simply the initial preaching of the saving message. That's not just what gospel means. It's not just the initial message. That word also means really the the conduct of your life even after you hear the gospel. You say, how? Well, because he also tells the Philippians in Philippians 1.27 to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So see, the gospel has implications for you even after you're saved. You, you need to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Christ saves you and He calls you to live a, a worthy calling. He's certainly not saying in Philippians 1.27, live in a manner worthy, worthy of the glad tidings. It's not just worthy of your initial saving. It's worthy of the whole implications of the gospel. It's it's worthy of the continuing effects of the implications of the cross. 
So Paul here says that he serves with his spirit in the good news of God's son's saving work. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about. So Paul serves in his spirit. That's not some mystical idea. He, he serves in his person the gospel of his son. That's his vocation. That's his life calling. That's his heart. That's his passion. That's his goal. Is that your goal? Is that your life? Is that what you're all about? You say, well, that's not my vocation. doesn't matter. What, what's your life all about? It doesn't matter what you do for your work. Is that what you do? Is that what you think about? Is that what's on your mind? Is that what occupies you when you talk to people? When you have a an opportunity to speak with someone a word of Christ? Or do you shy away from that? Paul didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. In fact, look at Romans 1.15. This is another thematic emphasis of Paul. Here he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Oh my, I am eager to preach the gospel. Are you eager to preach? Are you eager to preach the gospel? Why? Why, Paul? Why are you eager to preach the gospel? Because he says in verse 13, that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I am eager. Are you eager? Is that the theme of your life? Would you be able to say, this is thematic of my life? When you go to your work, is that an opportunity for you to to seize praying for, talking to, talking about, seeing how you could lay the foundation for talking to someone? Well, maybe you can't talk to them at work. Maybe that's not what you're there for. And that's that's probably okay. Maybe that's not what you're there for. You're not being paid to do that. That's okay. How about lunches? How about breakfasts? How about afterwards? How about on the weekends? Maybe you do have the freedom to do that there. Maybe there's no compunction uh, for you to be unable to do that there. That's okay. If, If you have the opportunity, do it. If you don't have the opportunity, do it in the morning. Do it at lunch. Do it at nighttime. Do it on the weekends. Talk to people about Christ. Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel. Why? That I may reap some harvest among you. You remember what Pastor Todd Murray said about the parting with Shannon Etter, who we just prayed for in the offering? When she parted from her family at the airport, and her family was was crying because of the parting, and they got down at the the end, and she turned around, the family was crying, and she was bubbly. The opportunity to go back to the place where the missionary enterprise was was there. The opportunity was there. Giddy. Why? Because she's a missionary. 
Paul was a missionary. He's all about preaching the gospel of the sovereign grace of God's glory in Christ. He puts me to shame. Does he put you to shame, Christian? Is this what you're all about? Is this what you're all about, young person? Are you preparing to give your life away to this older saint? Are you preparing for some cushy retirement? Or are you saying, I'm under obligation both to the wise and to the foolish? Is there some barbarian tribe for which you are praying and preparing? Did we not just say last week, one of our pastors, where are the older among us? Where are the men among us? Where are you? Stand up and be counted. Begin to pray now. The far reaches of the earth are waiting for you. What are you living for? Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Are you eager to preach the gospel? You might have even said this morning, get on with the exposition already. No, I'm eager to preach the gospel this morning. I'm concerned that there are many, maybe even many within these walls of our church that are unredeemed. And I must, I must preach the gospel. Parents, are you continually preaching the gospel to your children? Not simply bringing them to church services and Sunday school. But are you, as the most responsible persons in their spiritual development, systematically articulating the gospel to them by your life and by your words? And believe me, as they grow older, the hours rack up. Hour after hour speaking to them of the truth of the gospel. I wonder how it is I am able to do anything else based upon the amount of time it takes to speak with them about spiritual matters. You find that's true of you? Constantly speaking to them of spiritual things. Nurturing them. Asking them questions. Feeding them spiritual truth. Reading the scripture. Praying. Using life illustrations. In the car. At home. Late at night. Early in the morning. Praying. Talking. Living. Speaking. It never ends. Maximizing every moment. Is that what you're doing? Are you eager to impart the good news of saving truth to them and to others as Paul is to the lost around himself? What a mission field you have right in your own home and in your own church home. Are we doing this, let alone the outside? Evidently, Paul believed that God could save people from their sins, not only because God had done it in Paul's own life, but also because of what he says in Romans 1.16. Look at it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
You see, Paul had seen God do it in others' lives, and he wasn't ashamed of the good news, and he'd seen God do it in his own life. He was willing to die for the euangelion, and ultimately he did. He did die. Tradition attests that he did die for the gospel. He lived out the very thing. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the very theme of this book. In fact, for Paul, the gospel is so personal. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. I said this to you a couple of weeks ago. He calls it my gospel. Possessive pronoun. My gospel Is this gospel which Paul proclaims your gospel? Can you say that? This is my gospel. Your gospel. God's power to save a person from their sin is indeed powerful to see. You remember we talked about Paul's conversion? No wonder he could say my gospel. My gospel. Beloved, I could say my gospel. Can you say that? My gospel. Folks, there, there is no doubt it is my gospel. I was raised in a family in which, very, very honestly, I say to you, I believe that I am a first-generation Christian. I, I didn't know believers before me. I believe in 1979 I was a, a first-generation Christian. Someone gave me a Bible, and it it was on a shelf. Someone gave me in high school, and when I was in college, the Lord, by His sovereign grace, the very theme of this epistle, gave me the wisdom and insight by His regenerating grace to pull that off the shelf and begin reading it. And within a six-month period of time, I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And that did not come from... My family. I did not have the privilege of being nurtured in the faith by a mother or a father or a a grandmother or a grandfather. That, That came to me by God's sovereign grace alone. And my my wife and my children, they are here by God's sovereign grace alone. And if God by His grace should redeem these children of mine and the legacy that is passed along to them and their children, it will be by His grace alone and that generation to the next generation to the next generation, it will be by His grace alone and that legacy will start with me. That's a a powerful conversion. That That is a powerful gospel that is... To those who believe. That is something for me to powerfully see. It wasn't something that, that I could say, well, that's because there was a generation before me and it was a generation before them and that I was raised in the church because my parents were raised in the church because their parents were raised in the church that someone could say, well, it was tradition, it was this, it was that. No. But we've always been such and such a denomination. Uh, we've always been raised in the church. It's, it's come to us from so many years past. 
Not so. I look at my wife's family. And when I see a divorce occurring in my wife's parents' lives, with my wife's father walking out on them in an adulterous situation, and when I see that some 20 plus, 25 years later, her father having a heart attack, and I see that the very person that he came to be with in that adulterous situation, being in a hospital room, and my wife going there and sharing the gospel with her father and with his wife, and when I see Beth's mother being there in that same hospital room and enveloping that situation and reaching out to that former husband in love and saying, we want to reach out to you. We want to share the gospel with you. We know what happened in the past, but we want to share the love of Jesus Christ with you. And she gave them a book, Write with God, by John Blanchard. And in that time of convalescence, Beth's father began to read that book. And his wife, the very one that he had that relationship with years ago, they began to read that book. And about a year, year and a half later, they came down here for Christmas. And he shared with us that that book meant the world to him and he came to faith in Christ. And it appears as though she also has come to faith in Christ and we shared Christmas together. And when we all went around on that Christmas day together and we shared all of the blessings of our life, and when Beth's mother was there and her father was there and when his wife was there, that very woman who had destroyed that home, and when it appeared as though regeneration had occurred in their lives, and she looked at all of us and said, I can't believe you've accepted us into your family. I can't believe that you have allowed me to be a part of this family. And when there was forgiveness sought and granted, the power of God is at work to everyone who believes. That's the power of God. And Paul knew that and Paul believed that. That's how, that's how you can call it my gospel. Possessively. That's, that's why Paul had a heart for his own countrymen. You see, it becomes very personal, doesn't it? Look at Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, when you know the people that are in your life and you know they don't know Christ... It becomes very personal like that. Those personal illustrations out of my own life or out of my wife's life, it becomes very personal to you. And that's why Paul says this in Romans 9. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying, Romans 9.1. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He says, if it were possible, and it wouldn't be, of course, but if it were possible, 
Because of this great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, I could wish that I myself were accursed, damned, consigned to judgment, and cut off from Christ myself for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I'm a Jew, and if it were possible that I myself could be taking the place of my own Jewish brethren, if I could be consigned to judgment, if they themselves could be taking my place in Christ, I'd do it. That's how badly he wanted them to be converted. Oh, he had a heart for his countrymen. And he was the apostle called to the Gentiles. He had a calling to the Gentiles, but he had such a love for his, his brethren. And look at chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They're, they're zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. And boy, doesn't, doesn't he have the background to say that? He says, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, I'm of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I thought I had knowledge myself. I thought I was on the right road for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They came up short because they didn't see that Christ is the end of the law. They didn't see that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. They didn't see that Christ was the totality of the law. They missed it. They came up short. They wanted to kill Christ. They didn't see that He was the fulfillment of it all. They put all their stock in Moses, not Christ. And then he says that, chapter 10, here's, here's the gospel. It's, it's near them. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. This is the faith we proclaim. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, and, and this is the gospel, this is what I'm proclaiming to you today from this pulpit of the Bible Church of Little Rock, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means He's the the master of the universe. Not just that he's a good guy. Not just that he's a God among many gods. Not just that he's an alternative. Not just that he's a, a possible alternative religious leader. That he's Lord of all. He is the Lord of lords. That he's the King of kings. That Jesus is Lord, capital L. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's confirmation. Every other supposed Savior is dead and rotting in the grave. Confucius is dead. Buddha is dead. But God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and if you believe that, you will be saved. Saved from what? Judgment. And we skipped over all of that that's in between 
these passages from Romans 1 to Romans 10. And that talks about judgment. The judgment on sin. The righteous judgment on sin. That we are all sinners and that we deserve righteously from God to be judged because of our sin. We righteously deserve judgment. For, verse 10, with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Not just this, I believe. It's not just mouthing words. That's why he says, with the heart. That means that you say with a palpitating heart. You believe, you entrust, you are committing yourself, you are justified. You are declared by God not guilty. And with your mouth, you affirm that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. That is, you will stand before God one day and you will not have to be ashamed. You will not have to cower. You will stand before Him and He will declare unto you, accepted in the Beloved One. Accepted in Christ. And then he says, and, and here's the whole argument of the middle part of the book of Romans, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, there's no favorites. And at that time, there was just two groups of people, Jews and everybody else. No favorites. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call on the name of the Lord today, right now, and you will be saved from your sins right now. And then someone's going to say, but but how? How are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him uh, of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Well, you can't say that now because that's exactly what I'm doing. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Uh, That answers the question of what I said a moment ago. I I also ask you to, to go be sent a moment ago. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Oh, oh. There are some of you out there who are saying, I don't want to obey. I don't want to trust Jesus Christ. I like my sin. I want my sin. I don't want to believe. I don't want to serve Jesus as Lord. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through a word of Christ. And by the way, that's the philosophy of ministry of this church. You preach Christ, people are saved. You preach Christ, people are saved. You don't preach Christ, people aren't what? Saved. It's really not hard to figure out what kind of philosophy of ministry to have. But boy, verse 18, but I ask, 
Have they not heard? Indeed they have, and indeed you have. You have today. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then he goes back to the Jews. And I ask you today, what is your confession? Do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you confess? If you genuinely believe these things, that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the authority of the Word of God, you can be justified in God's sight. And God will declare that you are not guilty at His bar of justice. When others are condemned, declared guilty because of their sin, because of their guilt and disobedience, you will be declared righteous before God based not upon your own merit, but based upon the work of Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary and His subsequent resurrection from the dead. That's the word of Christ, which I preach, which you must hear in order to be saved. You must have a preacher And you must have this message, and you are now without excuse. And when God comes to condemn you, if you reject His offer of grace, you have no excuse. No excuse. Let's close with looking at chapter 15. And one little doxology at the end. Chapter 15, verse 15. This is just thematic preaching. Chapter 15, verse 15. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then verses 19 and 20. From Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I may make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Paul takes the metaphor of the priestly role And takes his preaching ministry and says, I want my preaching of the good news of the gospel, of the sovereign grace of God's glory in Christ, to be an offering to God. Acceptable, like a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He takes that that metaphor of of the priest's role and this, this offering And how that smoke ascended into the nostrils of God. And he says, that's what I want my ministry to be. As I preach this gospel in Rome, I want this this offering of my life and my ministry to, to ascend up into the nostrils of God. So that when he he smells the wafting of my ministry, he says, ah, it's acceptable in my sight. He's doing what I want him to do. It's a blessing to me. How about your ministry? Is God saying that's acceptable to me? I smell it. And it's acceptable to me. 
Is that your ministry? Don't miss what he says here. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Do you have an acceptable ambition of a life? This is my ambition, my calling, my life, my vocation, my purpose, my aim, my passion, my raison d'etre. That's that lovely French word, my reason to be. My reason to be. You have a reason to be? What's your reason to be? My one all-consuming, overarching goal to bring the Gentiles to faith in Christ. What's your passion? And Paul is he's so filled with this This reason to be closes in chapter 16, verse 25 with this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He takes that possessive pronoun again. My gospel. According to my gospel. The good news which has been disclosed, he said, through the prophetic writings. And you know what he does? He takes it, he takes it all the way back to Romans 1-2 again. He says, through prophetic writings. Romans 16, Romans 1-2, he sort of brackets it again and says, through prophetic writings, through prophetic writings. Takes us right back. The gospel of God was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It wasn't something that somebody made up. There's continuity from the beginning to the end. We must proclaim this gospel to all the nations, this glorious gospel. This is our task, and it begins with you and I, and it must be completed throughout the whole earth. This is our passion, folks. Look, I don't just do nine to five. This is is not my job. This is not what I do. I don't wake up in the day saying another dreary day. This is my life. This is what I do for my acceptable wafting aroma in the nostrils of God. Is that you? Oh, I hope it is. Just the thematic, acceptable, sanctified worship in the nostrils of God. Oh, I trust that it is. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, do we burn? Do we burn with the very passion of the Apostle Paul? Is this is this our life? Is this what we're all about? Oh yes, Lord, we have jobs and we have families and we have obligations and we have work. 
those things are not ends. They're means whereby they give us ways in which we serve the purpose of our life. And that is to love you and love our families so that we might preach and pray and live and serve the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that none of us, myself included, would see the dreary doldrums of weeks gone by and be lost in our vision and passion of seeking first the kingdom of God and Your righteousness and the preaching of my gospel and our gospel and Paul's gospel. Christ's gospel. Father, may we live this. May we love this. May we too, maybe not in an apostolic sense like Him, but may we be set apart to live and breathe our raison d'etre, our reason to be, to speak to people about Christ, a word about Christ, a speech about Christ, to live and seek and teach Christ so that all of the nations, the peoples of the earth would come to hear of our faith in Christ. That young and old would step forward and be trained and sent with this glorious good news of the gospel of the sovereign grace of God's glory in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.